You're listening to Mastering Mind and Body, a chat about being uber-human. Welcome to this new podcast series here in Singapore. My name is Marcus Knirk. Let's kick it off. Welcome to the third episode of Mastering Mind and Body. I'm here today with Tom Hill from Australia. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Good morning, Marcus. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. How, how did your day start today? Day was good. Started uh, started bright and early at 4.15 this morning. Uh, went for a bike ride um, for a couple of hours and uh, cleared my mind, which was nice. Really good. Nice. So today is going to be, for me, a very interesting session. I'm very pleased to have you here. But before we start, I saw on, on, on the web that you like Lion King and particularly the character Mufasa. What, what's that all about? Yeah, you've, uh, you've, really, um, you've really dug the nail into the coffin there, mate. It's true. It's something which stems um, from a, a period of time in my childhood which was very, uh, which was very um, settling for me. It was a period of time where there was a lot of harmony. And I often go back to that and The Lion King for me and, and like the movie itself and, and the character Mufasa. Yeah, it's definitely a full um, of strength. And sometimes, you know, when you get, you know, when you get down or you come across an obstacle, then um, you look for that strength. And uh, yeah, Lion King and Mufasa are definitely um, a very special thing for me. Nice. I, I like Simba and Mufasa. I like Simba's playfulness. That's kind of why he's my favorite character. But great, great movie. I also have to add, you also like the Gratz Gatsby and other movies. So it's not just about Lion King, but I found that. I thought it was very interesting that you have that on your profile. Amazing. So before, before digging into to your story, before I, I'm curious to hear a bit um, what drives you, what makes you happy, um, more generally speaking. What, what is like a Tom Hill like that um, is on a daily basis, is pushing for the boundaries? Yeah, well, I mean, um, to answer your first question about, you know, what drives me, I think it, it's really, it comes from me. It's a, it's a self-driven process for me. I do find inner peace when I am disciplined, and uh, again, I, I, I will continuously to refer back to it. But um, it stems back from my childhood. You know, the way I've I've, I've been um, brought up. My parents were both highly successful and highly driven, high achievers, <laughs> and um, that's the only way I know for me to have drive. It was it was it was already instilled in me from um, a young age. You know, that's sort of where it began. But, you know, I'm always trying to find that everlasting improvement. Mm. Uh, I mean, your podcast, I mean, you, you talk about mastering. And I think we're all, we're all, you know, striving for that. You have moments. I've had moments. I'm sure everyone has had moments of in whatever they do or whatever they enjoy most. There is that, that feeling where it just, it just becomes easy. You know, for me, I can relate it to, to surfing. You know, I surf a, a lot. When I surf, there is this there is this feeling of of when you almost feel glued to your surfboard where, where everything's in slow motion and everything just works it's only for a split second you might do a maneuver and it and it just and it just might it just might give you the fizz and um, I'm always striving sort of driven towards finding more of those moments yeah I, I like that you relate your drive and you understand the drive is coming from your childhood and from your parents I mean not many people I think are fully aware of yeah. that uh, what were the tools that were given to you by your parents? What kind of drive did they give you, if you, if you wouldn't mind elaborating a bit more? Yeah, the tools. I mean, it was just sort of the platform for me to, to be able to pick and choose what really, really um, excited me. At the time, that was free diving and swimming. You know, that stemmed into a passion for both. 
and it stemmed also into a place of peace where I can go do those two activities and all my troubles and um, all my worries seem to go. I think that sort of uh, segues nicely onto your question before about what makes you happy um, or, or what makes me happy, and that is to have a clear mind and to swim and to surf and to, in particular, just move my body. It really helps me to have a clear mind, and that, for me, is a place where I'm, I'm the most happy. It's just a feeling of, of movement, and then from that, um, I'm able to think clearly. I'm able to make best decisions for me and for the people around me. It's like a sounds like a very lucky upbringing you had there. So that's good. Mm, and I believe Australia have a lot of outdoor sports anyway. And I think recently you, well, not recently, I believe um, you have been quite into cycling. It seems to be a passion of yours as well, besides surfing. How come and what's what's the journey to cycling for you? Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I thought I used to get up early for swimming. I used to start in the pool at 5.15 and now I start cycling at 5 o'clock most mornings. So for me, that means getting up at 4.15. So I thought I was going to get uh, a slight sleep in when I moved into cycling, but obviously not. But, I, you know, I, <laughs> uh, sport and everything that comes with that has been in my blood. And uh, after my swimming career stopped, I sort of morphed into doing um, some triathlons. Yeah, obviously a part of that was cycling, and I just picked up the mateship of cycling. I picked up the adventure, and yeah, it's a sport which um, has challenged me a lot, but um, keeps me coming back. And yeah, it's 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 led me to some pretty unique places and met some really really interesting people. So, I bet normally cycling is, I think the average cyclist these days is around 45 or 50. Um, you are how old? 25? I'm 25, 25. yes, correct. I mean, I cycle, I cycle with most of my people that age, but I seem to connect better with people that, people that age. I ask, I ask questions, I listen to their stories, and I learn from them. So I'm cool with that. Nice. So you um, have done the first challenge of yours was uh, to go from London to Monaco right a few years ago could you correct tell, talk us a bit more about that yeah so it's um sort of um going back a step boats and everything to do with boats has been in our as has been in our family since forever that led to us starting a business in the marine world and that led to us establishing a worldwide reputation and that and that'll and that then led to meeting some really unique people and one of my idols um, and mentors in the marine industry, um, a very successful man, uh, mentioned to me in May of 2016, Tom, I'm starting this bike ride, put the idea out to these people, it's the inauguron, you are a young leader in the industry, would you support it? And um, I said, his name is Martin, and I said, Martin, 100%, I'm behind you. So that's how, that's how it began. And then it morphed, it obviously morphed into something a lot larger, you know, when you get people like Prince Albert on board, when you get People like Simon LeBron on board. When you get, you know, big charities. When you get industry icons uh, supporting the ride, riding in the ride um, from all over the world, it's something pretty cool. And I, I was just privileged to take part in it. So the race is going from London to Monaco. How many kilometers? How many days is it? First edition was um, ten days. It was a, a tad over fifteen hundred kilometers. So it was a quite a quite a journey. Yeah, it was. Um, it was, it was one of the best experiences ever. It really was. 
Nice. I guess you also had very good European food along the way and was making use of the very good European hospitality there. Way too many coffees. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? What happened during the first then um, race from London to Monaco? I think you had a bit of a experience there as well, huh? Yes, I did. I did. I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know at the time, but I didn't know to the extent. I did know that I had an issue. I, I, I definitely wasn't feeling right. My body was breaking down and it had been breaking down for many years before that. I was maybe just young and naive and putting it off. And uh, the second last day, uh, I cracked. And, and it's, not, it's not normally like me to crack, but my body shut down. It was, it was, the, it was pretty much <laughs> like looking back and reflecting, it was probably the beginning of the end um, for me in terms of my health. I ended up, yeah, in the back of um, in the back of uh, an ambulance, and I and I was straight into Monaco. I was uh, I just I, I my knees and my whole lower body just shut down. Um, it wasn't like a um, a muscle pain or anything. It was more of a ligament and bone pain. And I didn't really understand what was going on. A year later, oh, sorry, two years later, it's all come out. Yeah, it, it definitely did not sit well with me having unfinished business. Because when I, you know, set myself a task or a goal, I'm either 110% in <laughs> or not at all. And for me, not being able to finish it was, yeah, a massive, a massive letdown for me. I can so empathize with you on the second to the last day to have a body not anymore functioning after it had functioned for years and years. That is such a tough thing to to face mm. so what what was i mean just to kind of close the loop on the race i believe you're doing it this year again and i wish you all the luck to uh to finish it and i'm sure you're going to finish it thank you yeah no i mean i'm in uh, i'm in lots better shape this year uh last year sorry in 2016 we raised two hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds for um for the charity which is the blue marine foundation um you know help protecting uh the world's oceans through education and awareness. And this year, we're hopefully going to raise it a heap more. Awesome. I'll put that into our call notes so everyone can see the links as well to the Blue Marine Foundation. Yeah, sure, project. sure, sure. So you were diagnosed with arthritis at, in Monaco or in, in, in Australia. Um, what was... Um, no, yes. It was um, a year um, pretty much after the after the London to Monaco event in 2016. I, I, I spiraled downhill physically first and then mentally later yeah I, I it was this feeling of absolute weakness and instability and then it turned to uh, a burning sensation and then it led just to complete failure I couldn't actually get out of bed I had to get I had to get help to get it from, from my bed to the bathroom and uh, yeah what it yeah, what it came down to was a rare and aggressive form of arthritis eating away at my bones and ligaments. And for a year there, I got told I had a fractured pelvis because bones were getting eaten away and, and they were becoming brittle. I could do nothing. Well, I didn't know this, but I was, I was, I was trying to do everything, but nothing was working. And it was um, for a long time I was, I was not diagnosed and that was, that was really challenging. So you came back from the race and it took another year or the doctors another year to diagnose what was wrong with you, basically. Correct. So it wasn't until uh, October of 2017 where I finally got, got a diagnosis. Um, and yeah, it's just a rare, a rare blood disease. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was incredibly frustrating. You know, I, I got told that, you know, Tom, unfortunately, you know, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life because we can't do anything about it. And that didn't sit well with me coming from a, an athletic background. 
And yeah, this time last year, I was um, literally in bed, you know, 10 kilos lighter, incredibly gaunt, mentally, yeah, a bit um, scared, frustrated. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty dark time. I can imagine. And I think I have to add to this. If I was stalking you on Instagram as well, you, I would argue the normal human being would say you have a very pretty good life, yeah, very good looking. I think you look like Tom Ford sometimes. Um, and um, and you do all the outdoor sports you can imagine in Australia. But then also I think, yeah, as you said, the, the months and months in bed must be, is also a flip side of the coin, yeah? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, fortunately or unfortunately, both my mother and father have been incredibly successful. And with that comes comes choices. It's really, it basically made me realize without your health, you're completely screwed. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you've got. It doesn't matter what you can see. If you don't have your health, life, life, life is tough. It has made me um, appreciate everything. I remember the first time, you know, I stood up without falling over after after getting diagnosed. I remember the first time that I, I walked up, um, I walked upstairs. I remember the first time that I sat on um, a hard surface because I couldn't sit down on a, on a on a hard surface on my pelvis because it was too sore. And uh, I remember the first time I stood up on a surfboard after, uh, after you know, being in bed for so long. And that surfing thing comes back a lot because on the board, on a surfboard, you have to be very well balanced and you have to be stable. And that's something which I do pride myself on. I, I'm not an erratic person, both literally and figuratively. Um, stability and balance in my life is very important. Um, as 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 I'm sure it is to many others, and to have the feeling of being off balance is very scary. Being really sure-footed on a surfboard, and then going to, you know, standing up from sitting down on the couch to falling over because your ligaments and muscles have been eaten away, or you'll be stand, I'll be standing in a coffee line, and I'll just collapse. I'll just literally fall over, not from lack of strength just from being off balance because of this disease. That was incredibly scary, but it was it, it was nice to get it back. What what was going through your mind during these days and months of being tied to a bed, not being able to walk, of being off balance? How did you then overcome that mental challenge as well? Yeah, the mental challenge was probably here, yeah, like bigger than um, bigger than the physical one in a in a weird way. I knew what I used to do, and that was if I was going through tough time or if I couldn't deal with the situation or if I felt you know anxious or whatever, I would. I would move my body, um, and this time I couldn't. It was, um, yeah, it was it was very scary. So I had to have some sort of an outlet. Fortunately, almost 10 years ago now, I started yoga, um, and I started yoga with one of the best and most yoga teachers in the whole world. A lot of uh, stability in my life. Part of yoga is meditation, obviously, and I, I toyed with it. And to be honest, it didn't it didn't work for me in the beginning. This was many years ago. Um, I was able to find that place again. I started meditating with um, intent, soft intent. You know, you can't really f uh, focus too much because then you're sort of losing the point of meditation. You sort of got to just sit there and be with what you've got. So I was able to find meditation in my dark days. I was meditating for at least half an hour a day. I now do that every day, not half an hour, but it's. One of the hardest things I do, to sit there, to feel exactly what you're feeling, not to hide anything. Sometimes I sit there, I might start tearing up. And I go, what the hell? What the hell's wrong with you, Tom? You know, uh, Or I might um, sit there 
and in the first five minutes I might just get really, really hot and start sweating and it's just and it's anger and let's check this out. Where is this coming from? Or I might sit there for twenty minutes and go, that was a waste of the time. I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't, I didn't feel anything, I didn't drop in, you know. So but I credit meditation as one of the only ways to get through debilitating physical injury. So what did you then learn about yourself during those times that you didn't know of beforehand of yourself? I learnt what it feels like to be anxious, and then I and then I learnt what it feels like not to be anxious. And I think you, I think, well, I, I experienced this by meditation. It was just okay. There is this this sort of mindset, sort of you know, fidgety mind, a shallow breath. You know, a lot. Uh, I was having that most days. Then when I and then when I started doing meditation properly, it all went away. So I learnt what anxiety. I can almost like frame up anxiety and I can almost like look at it from afar, keep it in check. You know, obviously, of course, no one's perfect. Um, anxiety still does grab me by the balls and, 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 and really consume me. I'm able to go, oh, hang on, keep it in check, keep it in check. So that was the biggest thing, just learning what anxiety is, what it feels like and how to, and how, and how to deal with it. Yeah, so you're basically trying to look at it from a third-party point of view. It's, it's a thing that's out there, but doesn't have to be directly impacting what you feel and what you think. It's just a, a, yeah, an object that you can observe from the far and you can play with if, if, if needed. Correct. I mean, sometimes, you know, a little bit of anxiety can, can be good. It can give you some urgency. It can excite you in a way because um, excitement and anxiety almost, almost hand in hand to some, in, in some respect. But uh, it's definitely allowed me to... Um, have clarity yeah and did you feel now that now that you i guess have increased your well-being overly overall physically and mentally are you able to face challenges differently um what was the impact of your overcoming the challenges i look at challenges now and just smile for me that's all you can do because uh, like a challenge um, a small challenge to me a year ago seemed like a goddamn mountain and now I mean, I I rode a mountain this morning on my bike. It's easy. <laughs> Piece of cake. <laughs> nice. And so quickly, how did doctors and fix you? How um, what did they do to you to to get the disease away? First, I saw many doctors. Um, I I saw every single person you could imagine, from specialists to sports physicians to physiotherapists to people who look at you know bones, just people who specialize. You know at absolutely everything and it wasn't until i saw a rheumatologist who looks at blood where i was able to really pinpoint what was going on once diagnosed um, with this rare and aggressive form of arthritis the only way was to do a chemotherapy like process which to be honest at at the time and even now i'm okay with and i say that because at least i know what it is and at least i'm treating it of course, there are side effects. You know, I with chemotherapy comes, you know, all the all the positives of you know killing the disease, killing what's killing the pain, killing what is holding you back. However, in the same breath, with chemo comes killing all the good things you have in your body, and suppressing those. You just have to keep that in check. You just have to go. Okay, are your vitamin levels? okay are your minerals okay you know how is your diet you have to look at all these things to sort of help supplement in a way fortunately not radiation i still have my real hair i uh it's a it's a it's a big ass injection it's a human protein 
It's, it's an injection about 15 centimetres long that I have to inject with two hands into my thigh. I inject it. Um, does it hurt? Sure. I'm not going to lie. Does it make me feel like crap? Yep. Can I do anything afterwards? Nope. Um, but I, uh, I've got to do it. So I do it and then I sort of wipe the afternoon off and I have to do what I have to do and lie down. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, do I look forward to it? No, not at all. <laughs> it's a it's a horrible process and with that as well i have been doing you know many other things like i said watching my vitamins and minerals i have vitamin and mineral infusions i'm on an extreme amount of of supplements a day for a period of time there i was using a laser machine and this laser machine was specifically targeted at healing um, both tendons and ligaments. So it's a laser light that stimulated the regrowth of the cells after the blood disease was eating was eating it away. So I was lasering my body for three hours every day at the beginning. I was also in a hyperbaric chamber. My dear mother, bless her, um, bought a hyperbaric chamber for me to literally sit in. Um, a hyperbaric chamber is a cylindrical capsule, if you like. You lie in that you shut the lid and it feels like you are taking off in an aeroplane, that feeling of you know your ears popping, equalizing, it's that sort of thing. And what it does, it pushes blood and oxygen through your body, significantly helped my disease. So I was in that for three hours a day for six months. So my, my, my life revolved purely and solely around recovery and rehab. I have now stopped laser. I, uh, my ligaments and tendons are strong enough. I still do my hyperbaric chambers, not as much, maybe two or three times a week. I'm still on my vitamins and minerals and vitamin infusions as much as I can. How do you feel now? How do you feel these days about your body and about your mind? Well, uh, my mind's really strong and that's, where it, and that's where it starts and ends. I'm sharp. I was, I was very foggy before. I think once my body um, and mind both became stronger my vision my gaze sorry got got longer therefore i was able to look further into the future and to be able to feel settled um literally when i was first um coming out of bed into having no balance or stability at all i was literally walking looking at my toes so scared of falling over and now my mind's stronger and my body's stronger i'm looking up i can so i i don't have to look where i'm walking it's little things like that my body feels energetic to do almost everything I love to my ability. Yeah, that's something I've been yearning for is knowing where my bar, my my level is and actually reaching that. And I've, I've been um, for a couple of years now, there has been so many things I've started and not been able to finish because of this illness. And I have nowhere near reached my potential. I know that. And recently, I'm talking maybe the last... Uh, three to four months um, there has been times where I have reached where I thought my bar is and I've actually gone further than that so that's a really nice feeling nice like 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 what for example for example this is a quite an easy one um, physically on the weekend I raced a high flying man and uh, that's something where I didn't think I could be doing for a long time I, it was something I I'd entered in a long time ago sort of held it out there as you know, um, like a carrot with the donkey sort of, sort of analogy, but deep down really wanting to do it, but then having a realistic mind um, and going, well, Tom, look at your past. You know that you're not going to be able to do it. 
it wasn't a fact of me doing it. It was a fact of me having an impact on the race, and I did. Uh, I did have an impact. You know, I was able to set myself thought, um, a very, very high goal of producing a, a certain amount of wattage on the bike leg of the Ironman, and uh, wattage is just simply the force and power produced through the pedals. And I not only achieved my high benchmark, I like exceeded it by a lot. I never thought I would be. I, well, I did think I could do it, but not yet. There are many things where I'm definitely hitting the mark. Amazing. You must be very proud of yourself. I'm getting a lot of praise and encouragement at the moment, Marcus, and I, I'm, I'm actually trying to filter that as much as I can because, you know, you hear, it's so cliche to say it's not me, it's the people It's the people around me. It's the people, it's the people like my mother. It's the people like my yoga teacher. It's people like my partner. It's people like my coach. It's people like my friends. It's people, it's it's my mentors in life that give me this. When I hear praise and I'm beginning, I've been getting a lot of it recently and, and you know what, of course, yes, I am proud, but I'm really trying to filter that because it's these people that have given me the tools or, or the deep self-confidence to be able to do what I'm doing. So with all that, what then really matters to you then? Setting a goal and, and, and um, going through a process and executing it. You know, only, only you know the, where, where, where your limit is. You know, if you're honest enough with yourself um, and, and have that much, that much accountability to yourself, that's, uh, that's all that matters. So I'll be honest uh, to be doing that and that will end up mattering the most. Yeah. Has your perception on limits changed? Before you pushing the boundaries, different type of athletic things are done, swimming, cycling, surfing, freediving, and you name it. I think this goes on and on. I think you're also a pilot, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, there's a lot of things I love to do, yes. But has, has it now changed the perception on limits and how you push your boundaries? In recent times, it has. As a child growing up and, and, and swimming competitively for, for my state and nationally, and doing a few international events. My perceptions on that sort of stuff were quite high. Um, and then when I got ill, this illness has been around Marcus for seven years now, and I didn't, I didn't realise, I didn't understand. So over time, my, my perceptions of, of, of that were, were dropping because of being let down all the time by myself, by my, by my own body. And I didn't realise that. Um, but now I've got a cure. I'm sort of holding the perceptions there, and all of a sudden, like I'm I'm exceeding them. So I've just got to uh, <laughs> I've just got to keep that in check. Yeah, nice. You mentioned earlier you are in the marina business, you are in the yachting business. How has that personal experience also had an impact on your professional life? Well, uh, I think it's just the um, the complete utter love and passion for. For boats, I was privileged enough to be on a boat when I was two days old, apparently, and I went from uh, Sydney to Cairns, which is quite a long trip. Um, I grew up on a boat. I was homeschooled for a lot of my junior school on a boat. The boat was um, was home, and what that allowed me to do was to have a, a full understanding of how boats work, how crew works, how ports work, maintenance works how the finer details of how of how a ship really runs yeah that just led me to obviously finishing my high school and doing a and then completing a university degree then being able to apply that passion in our family business is you know when someone is able to challenge me or or or, or support me or quiz me or, or 
whatever you want to say um, on that, then I'm able to, again, speak with confidence and um, put that into Rivergate, our, our marina and shipyard in Brisbane and, and sell it, generate business, have a, uh, a happy client at the end of the day. Good to know. If I want to buy a boat, I will come to you and get your insights. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So the foundation you are supporting, what's the purpose and what's, what's like the, the mission of that foundation? Yeah, so it's called the uh, the Blue Marine Foundation. It's European-based. There is a couple of projects that um, it's really supporting, one um, one in the Atlantic and one in the Mediterranean. For example, the Asatian Islands, you know, they're, they're just not fishing um, sustainable. They're, ju they're, they're doing it with quite a short a short-sighted approach. I mean, using dynamite is great to get a heap of fish, but it's not going to last you forever. The foundation's already seeing rewards um, from that. I was reading a quote um, in this week's financial review from someone I look up to greatly here in Australia. His name uh, is Paul Little. He's a, a CEO. He was the CEO of a, of a very large company. He's a billionaire. He's in our industry. And one of the questions, the last question they asked him was, you know, if you had your last $50,000, what would you spend it on? And he said education. He said, I'll spend it on education because um, it pays dividends later. And that's sort of the point of, of the Blue Marine Foundation. It's about educating these places about, you know, what not to do. And obviously, um, it's very themed at the moment. There is a there is a uh, an awareness of the issue of plastics in the ocean, um, which, they're, which they're trying to focus on, mainly in Europe. Um, my long-term play with the foundation, my wish and intention one day would be to, to do something in the Pacific or, 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 closer, or closer to home in Australia. Obviously, I'll be incredibly supportive and passionate about that, but I'm in the ocean every day, luckily, here in Australia. So it's something which is uh, incredibly dearing to my heart. Because of your journey uh, the last few years, has your awareness of nature and Mother Earth changed in any regard? To be honest, not really. I've always had a um, part of the family. Um, part of the family's business is also a fruit farm. We have a, a huge focus on biological, sustainable horticulture. There's a couple of big words there, but it's a uh, um, it's true. The place is called Tropical Fruit World, and 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 I've always been able to literally go in and, and roll my hands in the soil and get grounded and uh, look at nature and appreciate nature from that uh, from that angle. My first love um, and true love will always be the ocean. That was um, that was it for me. Perfect. I mean, I can ask a question now also to you. If you have $50,000 left, what you, would you do with it? Yeah. <laughs> If I have $50,000 left, what would I do with it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll come back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Just stop me there. I haven't, I haven't thought about that, but uh, I'll come back to you. <laughs> okay. Can't wait. How old do you think... You are if you uh, wouldn't know your age right now. Uh, 32. So seven years older. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nice one. Wow, you have a lot ahead of you. Thank you so much for sharing all the insights, Tom. I really appreciate it. Um, I think you're an inspiration for many out there who are facing challenges, who are not knowing yet they're going to face challenges, but they're probably optimistic about what could happen to them afterwards, how they strengthen their mind and how they... I think use that as a, as, a, as a good tool to overcome anxiety, which I think you touched on quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Any, any last words to anyone out there that is going through similar times? 
<laughs> just relax. It could be uh, could be a heck of a lot worse. So, That's well. true. I guess also living in Australia helps a bit, which is a very relaxed country anyway. Um, you can do a lot of things there. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. Um, and thanks for having you on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Marcus. No worries. Talk to you soon. Great. That's it. I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on this. Please connect and reach out. You can find the podcast on the website called uberhuman.me. Facebook, it's uberhuman.me. On Twitter, uberhuman underscore me. Instagram, uberhuman.me. And LinkedIn, Mastermind and Body. And obviously, email address we also have, which is hi.uberhuman at gmail.com. Please reach out, subscribe to the channel as well, share with your friends, and looking forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.